Good morning. We are continuing our study in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 21 this morning. chapter 21. I have always been fascinated with Bible prophecy. I think many of you have been as well. And when there are events that capture the world's attention, I sit up and take notice. I think most of us wonder out loud, oh, is this a sign of the coming of the Lord? Is this a sign of the coming of the Lord? And we have been told for weeks now that an asteroid was heading towards the earth and would miss the earth by a mere 17,000 miles. It sounds like it's a very long distance, but in terms of space, it's not. And uh, it really is less than the distance between the earth and the uh, sun, I mean, the earth and the moon, I should say, and even closer than some of our satellites uh, in uh, orbit. We were told that it would fly by on Friday, February 15th, 2013, just two days ago, and it did. But how many of you were surprised at the earlier event that took place that morning in Russia? And so we have a clip, I believe, of that. If you haven't already heard that or if you've been sleeping this weekend, um, we had a surprise wake-up call on Friday morning that a meteorite had uh, hit the earth in the Ural Mountains of Russia. And although this is not in any way connected with the asteroid, The meteorite certainly got our attention. Many people in Russia wondered out loud if this was the end. Is this Armageddon? And that surprised me, especially coming from a country that has been a very um, anti-God country um, for its existence, that they would think immediately, is this Armageddon? Is this the end of the age? And many people are wondering if these signs in the heavens are the signs that Jesus predicts here in Luke's Gospel. Are these the signs that the Lord predicts will take place? Well, if we turn from our telescopes and we turn instead now to our microscopes, we find some frightening events taking place at the microscopic level as well. Recent attention has turned to a new SARS-like virus, a variety of a virus that that causes SARS, which is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, In the news this past week, we heard uh, a lot about the norovirus, and we are learning of an alarming trend in the medical field today where we have been using antibiotics for many, many years, and many of the antibiotics now are resistant to, many strains of uh, bacteria are resistant now to antibiotics that we try to give to people. And so we are concerned in the medical field about the health issues of humankind in the future. And so you wonder, is this a sign that the Lord is coming back soon? And then from time to time, I like to visit the USGS.gov website, and there on that site is the the U.S. Geological uh, Society or Survey is the group that is the government-funded or government-run group that tracks events in the world, in the earth. And so they have an interactive, sort of interactive site on their website um, looking at earthquakes that are occurring almost in real time. 
And they even have a place where you can interact with it. Did you feel this one? How strong was it? And all the rest of it. And so I visit there from time to time just to see what's happening in the world. In the last month, they categorize earthquakes not only on the Richter scale, but they categorize them as events or significant events. And in the last month, uh, there have been 17 significant earthquakes. A significant earthquake is something that registers five on the Richter scale or higher, 17 of them in the last month. Four of them were seven or higher. One of them was 8.0. And Jesus says there will be earthquakes in various places. Are these signs of the soon return of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things of the Lord our God, sorry, sorry, let me rephrase that. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, and those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord. Proverbs 25, 2 says this, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. God has a lot of secrets, and he's told us many of them, and uh, it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. The Lord has clearly revealed things that are going to take place in the future, and of all the prophecies, all the prophecies that we have were given thousands of years ago, and just as the prophecies came to pass about the Lord's first coming, so they will come to pass about his second coming with just as clear uh, and marked precision. I was told once that for every, for every single prophecy there is about Jesus' first coming, there are eight prophecies concerning his second coming. The Lord wants to make it abundantly clear to us that he is coming again. In Isaiah 42.8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Only God could do that. Only God knows the end from the beginning. And we are grateful that the Lord has given us so much information about what is yet to come. In John 16, 3, Jesus said that he would be going to heaven and that he would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to, um, of truth to come. And he says this, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And he has done that through the writers of the New Testament. So as we turn to our study in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21 we see that it is a prophetic section of the scripture. It speaks of future events. It speaks of amazing predictions about things to come. And over the next few weeks, we want to take a look at this prophecy and other prophecies to help us to understand what is coming, what will happen. The reason the Lord gives us prophecies, the reason he tells us about the future is not just to tickle our intellect, not just so that we walk away with a package of information and great notes on, on the second coming. 
Rather, what he does is he tells us these things so that we might be ready. And over and over and over again, in passages related to the second coming, we see the Lord saying, take heed, watch, be ready. And we want to emphasize that as we go through this, that the Lord is coming, are you ready? Am I ready for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And let me ask you a question. If you knew that the Lord was coming back this afternoon, would your life be any different today? Would your life be any different? If you knew for sure that the Lord is coming, how would your life change this day? In Luke 21, verse 5, it says this, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another, that shall not be thrown down. So go back to our uh, previous studies. We know that the Lord has come to Jerusalem at this time. It's the Passover. And he is in the city of Jerusalem, and he's with his disciples, and he's talking about how the, he's presented himself as the king. They've rejected him as the king. And the disciples still think in terms of, well, he's got to set up his kingdom on earth because that's what we're waiting for. We know he's the king. When is he going to do this? And so as they're passing through the temple area and look at the temple, they say, look, look at this beautiful building. Look at how great it is. Look at the size of the stones. Look at their color. Look at the gold. Look at the jewels. Look at all the things connected with the temple. Isn't this wonderful? Come on, Lord. Get in there and start raining. And he says to them, that the days are coming in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That doesn't fit with their thinking. And so I think that what has happened here, because of a later verse, that they're in Jerusalem at this time, and that's all he says to them. And they're going, are you kidding me? No, they don't say it out loud. But as they think through what he said, they go, wait a minute, how does that make sense? With everything that we've thought, everything that we've been taught, how does that make sense? And so they're thinking about it and thinking about it. Finally, at the end of the day, as has been his practice, he goes out to the Mount of Olives, and there in the Mount of Olives, they come to him and they ask him some questions. Okay, what is going on here? And they ask two questions here in, in Luke's Gospel, verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And so they ask the two questions, when or how long will it be until the temple is destroyed? And secondly, what sign will there be? If we turn over to Matthew's gospel, uh, we actually read a third question, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, and it says this, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And so then the Lord begins to speak to his disciples, and he reveals a number of amazing things that are going to take place. And as we read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke here, or this chapter, he tells them about some of the secret things that were hidden. But he, as God, knows. And he says this, that there will be false messiahs to come. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes, there will be pestilences, there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. 
There will be persecutions and betrayals. Mankind, as in, in general, will have a lack of love towards one another, and even the natural affection that we expect from parents and children will be gone. He speaks of a time when Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies, when people should flee to the mountains and survival will be tentative. And he says there will be signs in the heavens, there will be signs in the sun, signs in the moon, signs in the stars, and there will be great calamities on the earth, so much so that men's hearts will fail them for fear. All of this must take place, and then the Lord will return again. Well, the Lord's certainly given them plenty of signs that would precede his coming. But when? When is this going to take place? Now, we can march right through the rest of this chapter, and, uh, but, but don't you want to know more details? Doesn't it kind of arouse your curiosity to say, well, wait a minute. Okay, all this stuff is going to happen, but when? How? What's, what, what's, what's all this about? And so it, it's arousing our curiosity. You know, we live in exciting times. We really do. This generation uh, is blessed beyond measure. We are in a position right now where the Lord could come at any time. Literally, he could come today before we finish the sermon. And don't you hope so? There seems to be signs everywhere, and trying to sort all of these signs out can be a little overwhelming. One of the signs that people often point to is the fact that Israel became a nation in 1948. Significant event in history. The European countries seem to be uh, coming together more and more, a little awkwardly, but they're coming together. Um, and that's part of a political alliance that has to take place. Travel has increased, science has increased, communication has increased, instant access to events through your cell phones, smartphones, or dumb phones, you can get it all. And the, even the earth itself seems to be groaning um, as it waits for the return of the Lord and uh, the revelation of those who are his saints. While I was in the hospital a week ago or so, uh, one of the staff members came into my room and she said, she closed the door and she says, you're a pastor, aren't you? I have a question for you. I said, what is it? She says, what am I supposed to do? She said, I am being told that as part of the hospital staff, I have to take an RF, I think it is, is that right? Radio frequency device implant in my forehead or on my hand. I said, the hospital is telling you to do that? She says, well, it's coming. I said, interesting. What should I do? Is this a march towards the Antichrist, mark of the beast? Another question people ask, uh, and I've heard this in the last uh, few days as well, is the Antichrist alive today? Will we as Christians go through the tribulation? Will the rapture take place before the tribulation takes place, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? I guess if I go this way, okay? Middle, uh, beginning, middle, or end. And what about the passages that speak about fleeing to the mountains? Should I be ready? Should I follow the, the uh, latest doomsday preppers and be ready for an event where I have to run to the mountains? Well, a lot of questions. If we read the parallel section in Matthew, we'll find that there is a phrase in that passage in, in uh, Matthew 24 that gives us a clue about the timing of some of these events. In Matthew 24, 15, it says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, 
And then it says clearly here in this passage as well as in Mark, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now whatever the abomination of desolation is, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, um, whatever it is, it marks a significant time, a time to run, a time to hide, but when will that be? When is it coming? The book of Daniel holds the key to the explanation of that phrase. Now there's one more phrase, and it's found in our passage in Luke 21. Verse 24 says this, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until, and here's the phrase, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This phrase also marks a point in time in current and future events. What does Jesus mean by the phrase, the times of the Gentiles? When will that be? It apparently marks a significant time in Bible prophecy as well. And it turns out that the book of Daniel also holds the key to the understanding of this event. So, we want to cut through some of the confusion. And Jesus makes it clear that, that several of the keys to understanding Bible prophecy are found in the book of Daniel. And so we want to turn to the book of Daniel and see what he has to say about the future. Daniel was a Jewish prophet, and let's turn to the book of Daniel. We'll start in chapter 2. He was a Jewish prophet, and the book is named after him. And we read some of the most amazing prophecies in all of the Bible here in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel was written more than 2,500 years ago. And yet it applies not only to times that have already passed, but it applies to our time and day right now, and it applies to the future. There are prophecies in Daniel that apply to all of those time frames. And the book of Daniel will unlock some of the secrets of what is to come. Now, it's important for us to know this before we get into Daniel, that God is in complete control of history. God is in complete control. Nothing and no one can prevent him from accomplishing everything that is according to his will, everything that is according to his design and his plan. And listen, God has a plan for Israel, and he will see that it is accomplished. God has made promises to Israel, and he will see that they are fulfilled. God has a plan for the Gentile nations, and he will see to it that they are fulfilled. God has a plan for the church, and he will see to it that those plans are fulfilled. And God has a plan for you, and God will see to it that his plans are fulfilled. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, uh, says this. And he's talking, Daniel is talking to the king, and he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. 
So Daniel is saying very clearly that it is God who is really orchestrating all of history according to his purposes and according to his plans. God's will will not be thwarted. The book of Daniel holds the key to the future of Israel, to the future of the Gentile nations, to the future of the church, the the future of um, Christ's kingdom on earth. So, book of Daniel. Who was Daniel? Daniel was a young Jewish man. He was taken captive along with many of his countrymen um, at a time of a Babylonian invasion of Israel. And he was taken captive to Babylon And there he was selected among some of his um, other young men from Israel to to, to serve the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was set apart to be schooled in all the ways of the Babylonians. He was to eat their diet. He was to be schooled in their schools. He was to be just like them. That was the purpose of setting him apart. But Daniel um, refused the king's food. He refused to follow all the ways of the Babylonians, and he wanted to keep separate to his God, and he did all the way through um, the book, uh, or all all the way through his life, really. Why did God allow the Babylonians to come to Israel? Why did he allow them to take uh, Israel captive and to destroy the temple, destroy the city, and bring these people back to Babylon? Why did he do that? Well, there are a number of scriptures that tell us Jeremiah 25 is really the clearest, I think, in this. So I'm just going to read it to you and just listen as Jeremiah the prophet is speaking about this event. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying... From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, Jeremiah, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. This is what he's saying to the people of Israel. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with your works, the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. And so there's still at this late hour, Jeremiah is saying, If you repent, if you turn back to God, he will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment 
and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. He's not only telling them who will come, who will capture them, who will take them into exile, but he tells them the length of time is 70 years. Now, that is exactly the length of time that it took. And if you remember the history of Daniel, Daniel came to realize this upon reading this passage in Jeremiah. And he saw that the time appointed for the, for the um, captivity to last was 70 years. And he cried out to God and he asked God to deliver his people. He confessed the sins of the people and his own sins and he asked God to deliver uh, the children of Israel back to their land. Well, Daniel was among the captives, but King Nebuchadnezzar, as I said, ordered the men to be trained uh, and schooled in the ways of Babylon, but Daniel remained faithful to the Lord. One night, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it was quite a dream. And he decided that he would call all of his wise men, and the wise men in those days included sorcerers, magicians, all kinds of people that we think are a little bit odd today. But these were the wise men that uh, he surrounded himself with. And they would tell him about things that were secret. And so he came to them and he said, I had a dream. Kind of like the, the, the message of Martin Luther, but a little different. I have a dream. Now he says, I want you to tell me the dream. If I came to you this morning and said, look, I, have, I, I had a dream last night. I want you to tell me what it was. How many of you up to that? Okay? And so the, the, the men, the wise men all said, no, 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 king. That's not the way it works. You tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you the interpretation of the dream. And he says, no, that's not the way it's going to work. If you really can tell me the dream's meaning, then you can also tell me the dream. And if you don't tell me both the, mean, the, the dream itself and the meaning of the dream, you're dead men. I'm going to kill you. And he had the power to do that. And so they said, there's no king on earth who's ever done that. Well, guess what? It starts now. And so he started killing the wise men because, of course, they couldn't tell him anything. Daniel was among the wise men and his friends. And so they began to round up the wise men to be slaughtered. And Daniel was among the ones who was going to be killed. And Daniel said to his friends, look, obviously we're dead men. Let's pray. Let's ask God for his help, because only God can reveal secrets. And so he prayed, and they began to pray and ask God for his um, understanding. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and seasons, I, just like the verse I read before. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in darkness. Light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. And so Daniel is quickly taken before King Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 28, uh, Daniel says this, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and your visions of your head upon your bed um, were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. 
So, we have a video clip that we're going to look at, and you can look at this as I, as I talk. You, O king, were watching, and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs and iron, uh, of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Then in verse 34, he says this, So while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. And so the king's dream is a dream that describes for us the phrase that we looked at in Luke chapter 21, the times of the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles. And so we have a figure that came in the dream, something that might have looked similar to this. And Daniel now tells the interpretation. The first part of the, of the uh, statue is the um, head of gold. And he says in verse 37, You, O king, are a king of kings. For the Lord of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand. And has made you ruler over them all, you are this head of gold. So we have a clear interpretation of this image. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom, is the head of gold. That's easy. Next comes the... Medo-Persian Empire, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And so the chest and the arms made of silver represent the Medo-Persian kingdom or the Medo-Persian Empire. It was not as great as the Babylonian Empire, uh, but it dominated the world. The next one is the Grecian Empire. And verse 39 says at the end, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And so the bronze represents the Grecian Empire. Finally, the fourth kingdom is the Roman Empire, shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. The fourth world power is represented by the uh, iron. And just as iron is strong and is crushing, so the Roman Empire was a crushing force that took over uh, the world. The two legs, interesting, um, represent both the, the split in the Roman Empire between the Eastern Division and the Western Division. The interesting thing about the Roman Empire is that who defeated it? It just crumbled. It just dissolved. It, it uh, collapsed within itself. And it uh, never really was defeated in that same sense as these other empires. Now, we have the last one, which is a revived Roman Empire, and that's verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom 
shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. This part of the prophecy has not come to pass yet. This is still future. And so we've come through the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and the Roman. Now we're at the point where we are looking for the revived Roman Empire that will dominate the world. It will be the empire that will be in place at the time of Christ's second coming. Finally, verse 44, we have the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And in the days of these kings, so in the days of what kings? The days of the Roman Empire, the the revived Roman Empire, the, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So this fifth and final kingdom is not part of the statue. It's separate from the statue. It's a separate kingdom, not of this world. The prophecy of that kingdom, the fifth kingdom, is still future. The prophecy clearly states that it is God's kingdom. The prophecy clearly states that it will never be destroyed, never be abandoned, and it shall stand forever. And further, it says that the kingdom will defeat all other kingdoms. I'll tell you, it reminds me of a verse in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15 where it says this, Then the seventh angel sounded... And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he, Jesus Christ, shall reign forever and ever. God has made it known to the king what will come to pass after this, Daniel says. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. God is the revealer of secrets. Well, if the first part of all of these prophecies have come to pass with such precision, do you not think that the Lord will see to it that all of the rest of it will also come to pass with just the same precision? God revealed secrets 2,500 years ago to Daniel, and many of them have already been fulfilled. Now there are two more kingdoms, the revived Roman Empire and the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Many years later, Daniel was still in Babylon. The Babylonian kingdom had fallen. There was a new kingdom now. It was, guess what? The Medo-Persian kingdom. And Darius was the king at that time. And during the year of Belshazzar... I'm sorry, this is... um, I'm getting ahead of myself here. It was actually the um, first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. And Daniel had a dream at that time... Uh, And he uh, tells us about it. Daniel says in uh, chapter 7 that, uh, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. By the way, oftentimes in Scripture, when there is a reference to the great sea or the sea, it's actually a reference to uh, Gentile nations. 
And so he's talking about the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was the lion, and it had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Now remember, Daniel, Daniel's dream actually is very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was of a statue. And from man's viewpoint, it was a glorious uh, statue. The kingdoms were glorious from man's viewpoint. But now as we look at Daniel's dream, even though they represent the same kingdoms, the, the pictures of them are awful. They look like they're ferocious beasts. And from God's viewpoint, that's how he views the kingdoms of this world. And so the first being the lion with the wings. Remember, as Daniel is speaking these things and telling these things, all of them are still future. All of them. And so when we look at the statue, Daniel makes it clear that the first kingdom is Babylon. For he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold, so the lion must also refer to Babylon and to King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember a story of King Nebuchadnezzar? He had a dream of a tree, a great tree, and all the nations came under it and were blessed by it and all the rest of it. And then it was cut down. And it refers to a time in Nebuchadnezzar's life when he became insane. And it was for a period of seven. We don't know if it was seven months or seven years, but a time in his life where he was insane. And it says, in the, Daniel prophesied to him and told him, this is what is going to take place to you. You are going to be like the beasts of the field, and your hair is going to grow long like the eagles, and your, your fingernails and your, your uh, nails are going to grow like claws. They're going to grow long like claws of an animal. And you're going to eat grass on all fours, just like the beasts do. And that literally happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And God tells him why it's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar was a proud monarch, a proud man who had built a statue that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet across, and it was made of gold, and the people were told to come and worship him. And he was proud of his accomplishments and proud of his kingdom and proud of how much he had accomplished, and God brought him low. And God brought him down. And for a period of seven, he was low. And Daniel said, this will continue on until you recognize that heaven rules. What does that mean? There is only one ruler. There is only one king, and he is God. And when uh, Nebuchadnezzar finally came to his senses, he, his, his um, sanity was restored to him, his kingdom was restored to him, but he made an incredible statement. It says um, in Daniel 4.25, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Some believe that this was a conversion experience on the part of Nebuchadnezzar, that he finally came to realize that there is only one Lord, one God, one who rules, and it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it was God himself. But his kingdom would not last forever. On a fateful night in 539 B.C., King Belshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, held a great feast. It was a drunken orgy, really. And uh, he was so... Um, the party went on and on, and it was so elaborate, and it was such a drunken, immoral time that he called to his servants, and he said to them, 
Go and bring me the gold vessels that we took out of the temple of God. I remember that everything in the temple was dedicated to the service of God. And they had stolen it when they had destroyed the temple. And they brought out the golden vessels, the, the, the vessels from the temple. And they poured wine in it. And they used it to drink wine from and become even more drunk. And they offered sacrifices. Or they offered uh, um, worship to the gods of gold and silver and stone and, and wood and, and so on. And they took these holy vessels and they filled them with wine and became drunk and praised their gods. It was a riotous party and God was going to put a stop to it. Suddenly there was a finger of a man writing on the wall and the words on the wall were mini, mini, tekel, eupharsin. And they didn't know what it was, but everybody began to quake because they knew that there was something supernatural taking place. If I saw that, I would think the same thing. And they asked for Daniel again. And Daniel came and he interpreted the meaning of the words. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and is finished with it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You farsen. You is, just means the word and. Farsen is actually the plural of the word peris. Babylonian kingdom would be taken away. It would be destroyed. And it would be given to the Medes and the Persians. And while the party is going on, now you have to remember that the city of Babylon was this great fortress. They prided themselves. They knew that the Medes and the Persians were actually taking uh, other towns, other cities, other, other areas, and becoming a great empire themselves. They had no fear because they were in behind the walls of the great Babylon. And Babylon was as secure as secure a city could ever be. But the Medes and the Persians were smart. And they were even a weaker, weaker um, group. But what they did is they, there was a, the river that ran right through the middle of the city of Babylon. And they diverted the water for a time. And while this drunken orgy was going on, the Medes and the Persians simply came under the wall uh, through the water channel that was there because there's no water anymore. And they came in, and without lifting a sword, they destroyed the, uh, or took over the kingdom of Babylon in that night. And they collapsed. The bear is the next in Daniel's dream. It refers to the Medo-Persian Empire. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. This is the same kingdom that's represented by the silver in the, uh, in the statue. Jeremiah the prophet predicted that this kingdom would destroy Babylon. In Jeremiah 51.11 it says this, Make the arrows bright, gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for he, his plan is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. And it was during the reign of Darius that some of the Jews returned and went back to Jerusalem. It was also during this time that you have the story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. It's also during this time that we have the account of Esther, the queen. That's one of the uh, events that takes place during this Medo-Persian reign. The next is the leopard, the Grecian Empire. After this I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. The third world empire 
is represented by bronze in the statue and by the leopard here. And the leopard is a swift animal. It's speedy. But now, in the dream, it's not just a speedy animal, but it has wings besides. And so now it's a super speedy, you know, kicks into high gear. And if you know history, you know that um, Alexander the Great was the head of the Grecian Empire. He was a very young man to come to power, and in a matter of 13 years, he conquered the world. And it was Alexander the Great that went as far as India, and he conquered the Mediterranean world at that time, and he became one of the greatest uh, military leaders of all time. And he conquered the world, and it was his kingdom that was in power. Alexander died at about 32 or 33 years of age. I'm told that upon his deathbed, he asked three things. But one of the things he asked for was that his hands be left open and outside of his coffin. And one of his men came to him and said, why are you asking that? And he said, I came into this world with empty hands. And I'm leaving it the same way, with empty hands. He had conquered the world. But when he dies, he leaves it all behind. It reminds me of what we have in um, the New Testament scripture. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, it says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Upon his death, you say, well, there are four heads. What's that about? Upon his death, Alexander divide, the kingdom was divided to four of his generals, and they took each a fourth part of the kingdom, and they reigned over that fourth part each. The Lord, Daniel said earlier, raises up kings as he sees fit. God is in complete control of all of human history. And there's an interesting thing that takes place here during this period of time. As part of his plan, God is preparing the world for the greatest event that has ever happened in world history, and that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And God prepared the world in a number of ways, and one of the ways that he did that is that he took the language of the people of the Mediterranean area, and during Alexander's time, they were all converted to speaking Greek. And everybody, that was, the, that was the, the native tongue of everybody at that time, Greek. And so he changed the world language, as it were, to this language. And it is a perfect language for the explanation of the things that we have in the Bible. It talks about, um, as we study the New Testament, in fact, our whole New Testament is written in the Greek language. The original language of the New Testament is Greek. God prepared the world for his coming with the language. Then Daniel says in chapter 2, verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. Finally, we come to the fourth beast. This fourth beast is dreadful. It has teeth of iron. It is the Roman Empire. There's a lot that can be said about the Roman Empire, a lot that is to come. 
It is from the revived Roman Empire that we have the Antichrist, and there's more to come about him. It is from the Roman Empire that God also does something amazing in the world history as well. The Romans were known to be builders. I've been to England and Scotland, to Rome, and there are still evidences of Roman architecture and Roman roads that exist 2,000 years later. They were master builders. And God was doing something amazing in the Mediterranean area at that time where he took the Roman Empire and caused them to create a, um, a system of roads, a system of works where when the gospel was to be preached, the roads were already there. And so the Apostle Paul could travel quite easily to preach the gospel and to present the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. Do you know that you're here today? partly as a result of what the Lord prepared 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. The gospel going forth ultimately came to you so that you could also believe and be saved. So, what about the Roman Empire? Well, you're going to have to come back next week. We'll talk about that next week. But let me ask you this. There is, or say this first, there is nothing preventing the Lord Jesus Christ from coming back today. Nothing. We may not be here next week. And I want to ask you the same question I asked at the very beginning. If Jesus Christ were to come back today, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Do you know the Lord yourself? Have you come to saving faith in the one whose kingdom will be the final kingdom over all the earth? Ultimately, God rules. Daniel said that. The Bible says in Philippians that of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is coming a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have that opportunity now. You have that opportunity to bow the knee. It's a matter of your will. It's a matter of your heart. Will you believe the Lord and allow him to reign over you? One day you will. You can do it now before it's too late, or you can do it then under duress or under force. But you will at one point, sometime or other, you will bow to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today he is offering salvation to you as a free gift. We are living in a time which is called the age of grace, where God extends his offer as a gift to whoever will receive it. And he's saying to you, come. Come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He could come back this afternoon. It's not scare tactics. It's the truth of God's word. He is coming. Are you ready? If you're a believer this morning, I want to ask you, in light of his coming, in light of the soon return of the Lord, should your life be any different today? Is there something that's holding you back? Are there things that you know you should be doing in serving the Lord. How is your life any different today, knowing that he could come this afternoon? Let's pray, and after our prayer, the meeting will be over. Father, we thank you that we have such clear um, pictures in the Scripture of prophecies of the things that have already taken place. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you, Lord, that everything that you've said 
has come to pass, is coming to pass, and will, will come to pass, Lord. We thank you that there is nothing in all of the promises of God that will be left undone. We pray, Lord, today that we might really be moved in our hearts to live in such a way that we are found watching, waiting, ready for the soon return of the Lord. We pray, Lord, for any who may not know you yet, that today would be the day when they bow the knee and they say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior too. We pray this in his name. Amen.